right. Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, and livestock, uh, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and in the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth. And the earth, of the heavens and the earth, when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens... Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not seen set rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, And there he had put man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of knowledge and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Or sorry, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havlah. Where there is gold, the gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and oxen are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, and it runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought man 
he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he had brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. They both they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Aaron. So as you mostly know, um, I have three amazing, beautiful daughters who are all sick today. <laughs> Becky's home with them. But uh, I don't think any three people could be more different in personality than they are. I, I'm just amazed every day by that. Lucy, uh, we're just starting to get to know her. Her personality is just starting to come out. Uh, but she is a very cheerful kid. The other two, you know, we've gotten to know a lot more over the past couple of years. And, uh, and again, those two in particular, their personalities couldn't be more different. MJ uh, is very sensitive, very dramatic. Hannah is fiery and tough. You know, just for example, when they were teething, uh, when MJ was teething, no one slept, right? Because, as you know, with teething kids, she would scream for hours every night and she would do that without fail. When Hannah was teething, we would just notice new teeth in her. Like, they would just, oh, I guess she te- she's teething today. Like, just no, no reaction out of her all, at all. MJ is a girly girl. Her favorite color is pink. She wears flowery dresses and a sparkly unicorn headband to school every day. Every day. <laughs> Hannah, <clears throat> her favorite color is bright orange. And up until recently, she's been more of a tomboy. Just, we, we get her to wear dresses every once in a while, but she mostly hated it. Uh, but now, actually, she likes being like her big sister, so she wears dresses more often. But, but those terms, girly girl, tomboy, what do they actually mean? Do they actually have any true kind of reality that they reflect? Does being sensitive, liking pink and flowery dresses and unicorns really make someone girly? Does being tough, tolerant of pain, and fiery make someone more, more like a boy? It says who? Listen, I've watched my wife give birth three times, and she manages pain a lot better than I do. So what does it mean to act like a male or to act like a female? Is that even a valid question? Our society would say no, it's not, that even asking that question would be a sexist kind of question. This past month, we've been talking about what it means to be humans created in the image of God. Last week, we began to talk about how God created us male and female. We talked about how that matters, how male and female aren't ideas our society made up, but realities that God created in us. That each of us is a male or a female, and that being a male reflects God's uh, image in a way that being a female doesn't, and vice versa. Being a female reflects God's image in a way that being a male doesn't. Now, when I originally conceived this sermon series, I thought we were going to do Five weeks, one week on gender, the last week was going to be on marriage and sexuality, 
And then I realized there was more to say about gender, and next week starts Advent, so maybe we'll come back in January and finish <laughs> the, the marriage and, and sexuality part. But we need to continue to talk about gender. Our big idea both last week and this week is, is simply this, that God created us male and female to reflect his image. God created us male and female to reflect his image. And last week we asked the question, what does it mean to be a male or female? It's true of us, who we are, no matter what else is, is going on. And this week we're, we're going to look at the question, what does it mean to act like a male or female? And if you thought last week was controversial, this one probably is going to be more so. How's that for a clickbait start? You're not going to believe what he says next. But it's not what I say. We're going to look at the Bible today. And as we look at the Bible, every time, hopefully, we're challenged by it. What we're going to see in the Bible today is definitely not what our culture teaches. But my hope for us today is that as we look at these passages, you can see the goodness in God's design for us and how that design reflects God's image in male and female. So our first point today as we look at this passage in Genesis, chapters 1 and 2, is that God created male and female to be different and act differently. He created us to be different and to act differently. You know, a few weeks ago we talked about how God created uh, just the man, and then in Genesis 2.18 uh, we read, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Right? And we talked about how that's the first thing in creation that God said wasn't good. He said many times, this is good, this is good, this is good. And at the end, when he creates male and female humans, he says, this is very good. But when he creates Adam and Eve hasn't been created yet, he says, this is not good. It's not good for him to be alone. That creation wasn't complete with just a man. There needed to be a woman too. And so we, we get in the second half of that verse, look at Genesis 2.18. He says this, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, this verse may trigger some people. It makes modern people cringe, right? It sounds pretty demeaning to women. Now, I want to show you today from Scripture that it's not at all demeaning to anybody, to women or anybody. That we need to talk in here about two specific words that God says about women. The first one is helper, and the second one is suitable. We'll talk about helper, but I want to start with this word suitable. Right? That word in Hebrew... Suitable, it's a compound word. It's a couple words kind of squished together that have a, you know, a larger definition together. The, the very little tra literal translation would be like opposite to. That God made Eve to be like Adam, as opposed to like all the animals, but not exactly the same as him. She was also his opposite. She was different from him. Now this isn't just talking about personality as if Eve was an extrovert and Adam was shy. <laughs> we don't know that. But that's not what the point is. This is talking about who she is as a woman rather than as a man. That women and men are suitable for each other because they are like each other. Humans are, who are equal but also opposite to each other. They aren't different like humans are different from animals but they aren't the same either. My, my kids have this alphabet puzzle. It's got 26 pieces that have a letter of the alphabet on them. Is that, is that right? There's 26 letters? Yeah, 26 pieces and 26 pictures of something that starts with one of those letters. So there's like an apple and a bear and a cat and a dog and so on. 
Now, it's not a big puzzle you put together. Each piece only connects to one other piece, right? The A goes with the apple and so on. And it's designed in such a way so that in order for the pieces to connect, they have to be like each other, right? The A does not go with bear because they don't, they're not in the same category. But also, the A doesn't connect to the B because they are not opposite each other. They're, they're too similar, right? This puzzle is meant for certain pieces to connect together because they're like each other and opposite of each other. That's how God made males and females as well, like each other but opposite as well. Now we can talk about this in two ways. Last week we talked about physically. God created men and women as people with bodies that is designed by God to reflect his image. Right? We said that if you're male, that means that your body was designed by God to be a father. And if you're a female, your body is designed by God to be a mother. Whether or not you are a father or a mother or ever will be is besides the point. That your body was designed by God that way. And physically, obviously male and female bodies fit together to make that happen. Right? But this goes beyond just anatomy. That God designed males and females differently in terms of how we should act. Who we are. And so here's, how we're gonna, here's where we're going to talk about that word Helper. This brings us to our second point. The first one, again, was God created male and female to be different and act differently. The second point is God created males and females to act differently, but not with different value. Just because we were created to act differently doesn't mean one is superior and one is inferior. That's not God's plan. God created males and females to act differently, but not with different value. When God created Adam before Eve had been created, right, we read in Genesis 2.15, If you look there, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. God gives Adam a task, a job to work and take care of the garden. We talked about work a few weeks ago in our, our series on being created in the image of God. And we talked about how this task of caring for the garden reflected a bigger job that God gave to both Adam and Eve in chapter 1. If you flip back to chapter 1, verse 28... You read these words. God blessed them, that's the male and the female, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. So Adam has been put into this garden to take care of it and have authority over it. And God gives him the authority to rule over the earth as God's representative. Right? We talked about that idea of being a vice regent, representing God in the world and ruling in his stead. And that's a big job. And understanding that will help us understand what God says in Genesis, 1, or Genesis 2.18. When he says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So what does it mean for, that God created the woman as a helper for the man? And again, I know that it seems sexist and demeaning for some of us. And there, there's a good reason to feel that way, right? Women have been treated like second-class citizens in many ways throughout the history of the world, right up to today. And even in the, in the, world, the parts of the world that care about the Bible, these verses have been used to justify that at times. To limit women, to oppress women. So here's what we need to decide right here in this room today. Do you believe God's word is good or not? Do you believe that the Bible is trustworthy or not? 
Are you going to follow God or not? Now, if you, as I hope all of you did, said, yes, I trust God. I trust that his word is good. Then we need to wrestle with what this verse means. How to understand this. And and admit that sometimes our understanding isn't right. And definitely the world's understanding of this isn't right. People have misused verses like this. So here's what you need to understand that's going to help you with this verse a little bit. That word helper is not a word that has any demeaning value to it. It doesn't put women in a second-class citizen role. Here's how I know that. There's two reasons. The first is this. Because God created men and women in his image. Right? That, that in and of itself is a lot. Right? God created everything. He created animals. He created water. He created mountains. He created stars. He created planets. He created angels. He created everything. And they're amazing. But God didn't make any of them in his image. He only made us in his image. Right back in Genesis 1, 27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. Just in case you missed it, in the image of God, he created them. Who's them? The next part says male and female, he created them. Out of everything that God created, only we have the special position of being image bearers of God. And that's not reserved for only some of us, that is for all of us. We started this sermon series a few weeks ago by saying being made in the image of God means that all of us have value and dignity, that our lives matter, that God loves us. And that, this verse makes it very clear that that privilege of bearing the image of God and the value that goes along with us, with it is, is given equally to females and males. It's not possible to say that some of us are less valuable than others. Whether we're talking about gender or race or education or ability or age or anything else, there are no second-class citizens in God's eyes when it comes to human beings. So then why does God say that he created the woman to be a helper for man? Doesn't that contradict this equal value idea? Well, no, it doesn't. Let me show you some verses that will help. I put in your notes Deuteronomy 33, verse 29, but there's a few more that I'll read as well. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 33, 29. Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. What a privilege to be Israel who had been saved by God. Listen to what it keeps on going and says. He is your shield and helper. Who is the helper? The Lord God is. Similarly, Psalm 33, 20. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 70, verse 5. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. The idea of needing a helper shows that humans are not as great as God. Right? Who's the greater one in that? Well, God is. Not us. That's why we need his help. And so, at the very least, we can say, when we talk about a woman being a helper for a man, it is not putting her underneath. Right? It's saying that man by himself is not enough and needs that help. Over and over again in in the Old Testament, God is called that exact same Hebrew word as our helper. He's not less wise or less valuable, less capable. So let's keep that in mind. God created woman to reflect his image. 
And this is a really important part of how women do that. That God is a helper. And that women have been given this role to reflect who God is. You know, the, this is going to be the part for theology nerds in the, cl- the crowd. This equality between men and women is so strong that some modern theologians have tried to use it as an explanation for the Trinity, right? They say that the Father and the Son are equal, but the Son takes a support role to the Father. You may have heard that before. In fact, our statement of faith currently reflects this teaching. It says, we believe that because we were created in the image of our triune God, that's the God who is the Trinity, we were created for community, and that this is reflected in the gender differences between male and female. That's what's taught often, but it's not right. When we wrote that, when I put the wording together for that, we misrepresented who the Trinity is. We've been talking about that for a few weeks. Our statement of faith needs to be updated in a couple things. Because God is not a community who have different roles and, you know, support each other. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, and they want the same thing, and nobody, nobody is underneath anybody else. So, though that teaching of the Trinity is wrong, that's how strongly the Bible makes it clear that male and female are equal. People sometimes mistakenly say, it's like God. This is a strong point that I want you to understand out of this. The woman's role as helper does not make her less important than the man at all. But we still haven't talked about what it does mean. This brings us to our third point. We talked about how God created males and females differently and to act differently. We talked about how God created males and females to act differently but not with different value. And our third point is God created males and females to act differently, and that difference matters. It's important. God created males and females to act differently, and that matters. Now, one of the things in the Bible that will help us to understand how God created males and females to act differently is if we we consider what happens in Genesis chapter 3 when sin comes into the world. You know the story, right? Adam and Eve are in the garden. There's one tree that God says you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you're going to die. Satan comes in like a snake, tempts Eve, says, no, 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 God doesn't care about you. He just wants to to limit what you're able to do. Don't listen to him. He, He deceives Eve, gets her to stop trusting God. We read the results in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, which says this, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. So knowing that, I want to ask you a question. Who sinned first? Satan, but besides him. Between Adam and Eve, who sinned first? Eve ate the fruit, right? She was the first one, then she gave it to Adam. Where was Adam while Eve was sinning? Sometimes you hear the story that like Eve wanders off by herself and Adam's off, I don't know, doing something. And they should have been together. But what does it say? Verse 6. Chapter 3, Genesis 3, 6. Second half of the verse says, She also gave some to her husband who was with her. He's there. She's eating. He's right there watching. So knowing that, Whose fault is it that sin came into the world? Is it Adam's or is it Eve's who ate the fruit first? Let me show you what the Bible says. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, 
Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And we'll stop there because Paul's building one of his huge long arguments that we're not going to get into today. But in his argument, he bases it on the fact that sin came into the world through a man. And death came through that. It's Adam's fault. Similarly, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says that in Adam, all die. Death came through sin because Adam sinned. Adam's sin brought death to the world, not Eve's. Now, how is that possible, right? Eve sinned first. I went to the grocery store about a month ago. I took Hannah with me. She was getting over a cold, but she still had a cough. And uh, towards the end of our trip, there was an older lady who was wearing like an N95 mask who came up to me and said, listen, I'm really disturbed to hear your little girl coughing all over this store. You should have put a mask on her if you're going to come in here with her. Now, whatever you think about her, about my parenting, don't get caught up on politics. That's not the point. She wasn't mad at my two-year-old girl for coughing. She was mad at me for, my, for being irresponsible in her eyes, right? My two-year-old girl is not responsible for being taken to the store and coughing everywhere. Her parents are responsible for that decision. That's true. Whether or not it's a bad decision, that's another issue that we'll maybe talk about some other time. It's not exactly the same with Adam and Eve. Eve's not a child. Adam's not her parent. But there is a similar principle. Adam is the one that God holds responsible. Adam was given a role of responsibility to care for the world, to rule over as God's representative, and Eve was given that responsibility in a different way, as an equal partner, just as much an image bearer of God, but supporting Adam as he led. She was there to be his helper. But representing God in the world meant obeying him, and they didn't do it. And though there are consequences for both of them and for all of humanity, Adam bears the burden of responsibility. When he stood by and watched his wife disobey God without saying anything, he was sinning too. Rather than leading her back to God, he followed her into sin. And then he made it worse. He tried to get out of trouble by blaming her when God confronted him. Remember that? God said, Adam, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to? And in Genesis 3.12, the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from this tree, and I ate it. Right? Adam's ego took over, and he tried to make himself look good by worming his way out of responsibility. So listen, it matters how God created us to act as male and female. Adam and Eve messed it up and it had consequences for the rest of human history. And the weight of those consequences lie on Adam's shoulders. So if it matters so much, we need to nail down exactly how God created us to act. Here's the way that I describe it. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you and then we'll spend the rest of the sermon kind of teasing out what that means. Acting like a man means laying down your ego and taking responsibility. Acting like a man means laying down your ego and taking responsibility. Acting like a woman means letting go of your fear. And when it's, when it's appropriate, that's an important part of this, when it's appropriate, being willing to follow and to support. Acting like a woman means letting go of your fear. And when it's appropriate, being willing to follow and to support. Now, that's going to show up in a bunch of different ways in life. We'll talk about some, some quickly. When we talk about Adam and Eve, we're talking about a marriage relationship particularly, right? That's the primary this way shows up 
uh, primary way this shows up for men and women in the Bible, uh, although there are others. So let's get to the details there. We'll talk about unmarried people in some other ways later. So God created males and females to act differently in marriage. Husbands are given the role of laying down their ego and taking responsibility, right? Understand this isn't about being in charge and getting your way. Right? One of my favorite movies as a kid was Mary Poppins, right? He was not a good dad. This is not about coming home from work and expecting your house to be clean, your wife to be pretty, and your children to be well-behaved so you can sit by the fire and smoke a pipe. That's not what this is talking about at all. Right? When a husband acts like a man, he engages with his wife and kids. It's going to look different from each family, but you need to set the example in service and kindness for your family. You know, whether you work outside the home, or you go to school, or you're a stay-at-home dad, you get down on the floor with your kids when they're little and you play with them. You go find your teenager in their room to talk to them, even if they don't want you there. You lead the charge in dis- disciplining your kids when they need it. And pointing them to Jesus every day. When you see a job that needs done around the house, you do it. You take the initiative to love your wife and to listen to her and to treat her with kindness and understanding. You pursue her to pray with her and to talk to her about what you've been learning from God's word. This is true every day, no matter how tired you are and how little time you've had to yourself. This is what it means to act like a man as a husband and a father. Now, basically all of that can be said about moms too, a wife as well. Right? Both men and women need to do these kinds of things, but God has placed this responsibility particularly on the, hus- on the man. When a husband and a father doesn't act like this, and that happens far too often, when he doesn't act like this, the consequences for the family are heavy. Being a godly husband and dad really matters, guys. Men will stand before God and especially give an answer to him for how they've led their families with humility. The wives will stand before God for how they let go of their fear and supported their husbands. And again, this this doesn't mean that women are expected to be like a 1950s perfect housewife keeping everything together for their man in the home. This doesn't mean you can't have a career or an opinion. It doesn't mean that your husband gets to boss you around. But it does mean that you know, based on God's word, that he has responsibility that God has placed on his shoulders for you and for your family. And you want him to succeed in that role so that you can succeed together in the task that God's given you. Now, even if you're on board with that idea, and I suspect there are some people here who aren't, but even if you are, it gets complicated when your husband is less than exemplary, right? Every husband's a sinner. I say that as a good example of that. (laughs) And we have better days and we have worse days. And some husbands, let's be honest, are just bad husbands. They're lazy, they're arrogant, they're mean, they're abusive. And some husbands just aren't able to fulfill their roles because of mental illness or or physical disability. This is the reality of living in a world broken by sin. We need to take all that into consideration and not just put out a blanket rule for people because that's part of what leads to really bad situations. We'll talk about each of those a little bit. 
But I want to talk about husbands that are decent and trying first. People who are sinful don't always do it well. That's the, the best case scenario, but it's still hard. And when your wife, your job is to let them do better, or help them do better. Support them so they can grow. You know, Becky's helped me a lot with this. You know, early in our marriage, she would prod me to pray with her about stuff. And that wasn't something that I did naturally or I was good at doing. But she asked me to learn how to do it. She didn't nag me or, or make me feel guilty, but she just asked me to pray with her all the time. And I listened, and I got better at praying, and now I pursue her to pray with her. You know, I'm a more laid-back person than she is. If you know her, you know me. She's very active. I'm very laid back, and she often has to remind me to lead the charge on getting things done. She'll say things like, hey, Steve, it's getting late. Can you get the girls up and start the process of getting ready for bed? Now, Becky's amazing. She knows I'm going to say this. She's also not perfect. Now, there are times when she does get frustrated with me for not helping as much as I should. And her requests aren't as supportive. But we're growing together in this. That's the important part. We're both getting better at these roles. There's a lot in life that Becky is better at than I am. And we defy tasks and have different roles. For example, Becky deals with the finances in our home. She likes doing that. That's good. She's better at it. But she doesn't take over, right? She comes to me and asks me to lead in that, to give input. What should we do for our budget here? We're overspent in this category. What do you think we should do? And I'm, I'm doing my best to help when she asks and also to not wait for her to ask, but to lead Humbly as I'm supposed to. Now, for wives in a different situation, with husbands who can't do the role because of mental health issues or disability or just don't because of sin, you have a delicate task to know when to step in and lead and how to still support your husband. And I can't answer all those questions from the pulpit. But I can tell you this. For you... The other part of the role becomes very important, which is don't give in to fear, right? Let go of your fear. There's fear that your family will be negatively, negatively affected by your husband's condition or his sin. Fear that you're going to have a miserable life. Even fear for your safety at times. God calls you to trust him. Knowing that he is in control of your life and he's at work. First Peter 3 talks about this a lot speaks to wives that are in a difficult marriage and calls them to focus on their own character and to, to let God give them a gentle and quiet spirit. That phrase is in there. Which is to say a spirit that isn't in anguish and worry all the time. You're, you're not uptight in your spirit. Your spirit is gentle and quiet because you trust God. It goes on to say that this kind of inward beauty is unfading and very precious to God. God cares about that in your life. So one of the things that I can say very clearly is God wants you to work on your inner character figure, and, and let him change your heart. But along with that, you have to figure out what exactly it's going to look like for you to support your husband. Now, if the situation is abusive, right, you are worried for the, the safety of you or yourself or your children, you need to take steps to protect yourself and your kids, right? I'm not saying in any way to, to, to be supportive in that situation. Get out. Do what you need to do. Find help. Please don't hear this as a command to stay in a, a, and, <clears throat> and take abuse, endure. But possibly, even then, 
there may be an opportunity for forgiveness and reconciliation if it's done wisely and with good counsel. <clears throat> I just want to be very careful that everyone hears what I'm saying. Don't go back and just take abuse. That's not what God wants for you. But if you have a decent husband who just isn't a Christian or who isn't taking initiative, initiative to disciple your, you and your kids, you're going to have to find the line of when to support him and when to step in and give the leadership that needs to be there. Right? Each situation is unique. But the general principle extends across all situations that God calls women to not give in to fear and when appropriate, to be willing to follow and support their husbands. God created us to act differently in, in marriage, but he also cre- created us to act differently in singleness. You're not off the hook if you're not married. For example, what if you're a teenager, right? You plan, hopefully, to get married one day, but you're not. Guys, L-I-T guys, what do you do to act like a man according to the Bible? You got no family to lead? What are you, what are you supposed to do? You need to Start prayerfully working on your character in that direction right now. Listen, guys, I know you, I was you. Young men tend to be naturally full of ego and allergic to responsibility. And guys, you need to choose today to start changing. To ask God to help you kill the pride in you. So that you don't have to be the best. So that you don't have to be the big dog that gets his way. So you're not afraid to try things because you know you're going to fail and you just don't want to do it. It's another way that pride shows up. So that you can humble yourself and serve others instead of wanting people to serve you. You need to ask God to help you to do things that you find hard or boring but that you know are important. Maybe like listening to my sermon today. Or like reading your Bible, guys. Like helping around the house. Like doing your homework. Believe it or not, that matters. You need to be willing to stand up in whatever relationship we're talking about and be a good influence. Rather than letting yourself be influenced badly by others or even being a bad influence yourself. These are ways, guys, that you can grow into being a godly man. Well, girls, what about you? You don't have a husband to support? Well, you can also start prayerfully working on your character, just like the guys can. I got one for you that you may not like. Start by respecting your dads. I get that this feels like a big ask, and maybe for some of you, your dad is abusive or just isn't in your life. And if that's the case, then I'm, I'm so sorry. But most of you have decent dads that are around and trying to love you. And you owe them your respect. And yeah, you live with your parents, you owe them your obedience. If you have a decent dad, and I want you to hear this, if you have a decent dad and you can't treat him with respect, then you're not going to be able to treat anybody with respect in your life. And you're going to live a life and grow up not respecting anybody and it's not going to go well for you. Another thing, you can think about whether you care more about your outward appearance appearance or your character. 
Do you care more about being pretty or about what's going on in your heart? Because listen, outward beauty won't last. I know it feels like you're going to be young forever, but you're not. It's going to go away. But inward beauty, we're told in 1 Peter 3, is unfading and very precious to God. So spend time getting to know God. You, you have to read your Bible. You have to pray. And you have to ask him to help you work on yourself, to be the kind of woman that he wants you to be. Now, I just want to say one more thing to you girls today. Don't date guys who don't love Jesus and don't respect you. Listen, you don't need to, to follow your boyfriend's leadership. Don't do that either. But if he's the kind of guy that you can't say, maybe one day I could follow him as a husband, dump him. Why are you dating somebody like that? Set your standard high now. And later when you do get married, you'll be less likely to make a painful mistake. Listen, being a good man or a good woman isn't something that just happens to you one day, guys. It's something you you need to fight for with God's help every day. So start taking those steps today. That's not just for the teenagers. That's for all of us, right? If you're older and not married, many of those same principles apply, right? It's still about your character. Men can still be humble and responsible. Rather than living for yourself, you can care for others. You can use your resources and your time to take initiative to serve. Women can still work on their character to learn to give support to others in various ways and not be afraid. Now, none of of this is to say that women can't have positions of authority in their careers or anything like that. But you need to think about how are you acting, man or woman, in the way that God's designed you to be. I, I, my fear is that in this, in this generation, my generation, this, this society, women are thinking, I want to be too much like a man. And they're saying, I'd rather have a career than a family. Now, that's not a sin, right? I think that's okay. That's not a sin. But I think you're going to regret that. Because you're giving up one of the ways that God designed you to reflect his image. The last part in here of how we, uh, we reflect his image in different ways, or sorry, that he created male and female to act differently in different ways is church. Church life is one of the most important ways that we can apply this. God calls qualified men to step up and lead churches as elders and pastors. A few months ago, this question got asked in youth group, why, why do we only have male pastors? Well, it's because of this. This is what God's called men to do. It's connected to the roles that God has given men and women. Now, we can't go deeply into this now. I just want to touch on it briefly. Not all men should be pastors. Obviously, there are specific qualifications that are listed in 1 Timothy 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5, but only men are allowed to fulfill those roles. And these men bear the responsibility for the care of the souls of the people of the church. That responsibility is on Aaron and Sean and myself. And all men are called to serve in the church's men. Whether or not they're pastors, men, you're called to lay down your ego, take initiative, and care for people being there for others, being sacrificial. And women are called to serve in church as women, letting go of fear, trusting the elders that God has provided, and supporting the ministry of the church. And you know, we have incredible women in our church. 
incredible women who serve as deacons, who teach in KidZone, who lead worship, who schedule people to serve, who help with tech and hospitality. We include Beth, right? In the past, we had Sarah as well. You know, I don't praise my sister lightly, so I mean that. <laughs> we wouldn't be able to run this church without the support of these women. And again, none of this means that women aren't as important. It's just God has given us different roles. And that role matters. Finally, here's our last point. Because God created males and females to act differently, to reflect his image. That's what this all comes back to, right? That being a man reflects God's image in a way that only men can. And being a woman reflects God's image in a way that only women can. And so the, towards the beginning of the sermon, I started talking about this, about how women are created as helpers, reflects God's image as the one who helps us, right? How exactly does God help us? Well, in all kinds of ways all the time, right? We couldn't do anything. We would die without God caring for us. But the most important way that he helps us is by saving us from our sins. Now, a sermon like this has a lot of room for guilt in it as you look at your life and maybe realize you haven't done what God has called you to do and haven't, called, haven't been who God has called you to be. Right? And some of you may not be feeling guilty. Maybe you're angry at what God's word says. You don't feel like this is what it means to, be a, to act as a man or as, as a woman. You don't like being told that this is what it means. Well, the reason you feel that way is because you're sinful. Our feelings don't determine what's true. That's why Adam and Eve sinned. God told them what was true and they didn't feel right to them, so they disobeyed God. Now, maybe you have good theological arguments. You can go to Bible verses and say, I understand this differently. That's a different thing. But if you're just saying, nope, don't like it, throw out the Bible, that's a different issue, right? Sin's a problem for all of us. And those Eve sinned first, the Bible tells us Adam's sin has infected the whole world and all of us. That Adam represents us as a human race and we're like him. Now those verses I mentioned before that put the blame on Adam also say that there was another man who came and did better. A second Adam, a better Adam. 1 Corinthians 15.21 says, For since death came through a man, I, I mentioned that earlier, the rest of the verse says, The resurrection of the dead came, comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Well, think about this for a second. Jesus came to be a new Adam, to do what Adam didn't and couldn't do. He, he came to be perfect for us. He never sinned. And, and so unlike Adam, he didn't turn to his father to honor himself. He didn't say, look at me, look how great I am, father. He laid down his ego and took responsibility for us. He said, I'll pay for their sins. He sacrificed himself for us. And that's how acting like a man, laying down your ego and taking responsibility, that's how it reflects God's image. And now any of us, male or female, who acknowledge our sins and run to Jesus for forgiveness, we believe that he died, for our, died to pay for our sins and to rise again, that he defeated sin and death. If you believe that, if you turn to Christ, then you'll be forgiven. And God loves you. And all of us have failed at this in many, many ways. Whether we're talking about gender, or we're talking about all kinds of other stuff. But if you've been forgiven by Jesus, then there's no guilt or shame between you and God. There's only acceptance and love and forgiveness. 
And now you have the Holy Spirit of God in you to help you change every day to be the person God created you to be, the man that God created you to be, the woman that God created you to be. You can do it through the Spirit's power. Let's praise God for that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this message is it's hard. It's hard to preach. It's hard to listen to. It goes against some of the things that we've been taught in our society. It has been twisted for evil. Which I think, Lord, just shows us how important it is. Because if men can take these verses and use them to oppress women rather than to love them well, it shows the importance of men laying down their lives and their egos and taking responsibility in a good way. Lord, help us to be the kind of men and women that you've called us to be, to act in these ways and figure all the nuance of that in our families, in our singleness, in our church life, and everything else. God, we want to reflect your image to the world. Help us to care about that, to do that well, to not just go by what we think is good, what we feel is good, but to see the goodness and beauty of your design for us us to submit to you as our God and to find redemption in Jesus and strengthen the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.